The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is partnered with Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy with Red Energy. What do we say? Don't, Don't shoot, shoot the, the messenger. messenger. Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 298. We are staring down the barrel of the 300th gun, Caro Wilson and I. And I am Corey Perkin and here with Caro. And what a beautiful day it is. Great to see you, Caro. Well, it's not a beautiful day. It's windy and 37 degrees and there's a bushfire alert. Yes, that's I don't, true. I don't mean to contradict you. No, it's sunny. It hasn't been sunny all January. Let's face it, it's... It is beautiful, but yes. Um, We're all recon- rediscovering, our, you know, putting cold washers on our feet and our foreheads and turning on the air conditioners if we're lucky enough to have one wherever we are and swims because you really need one. Yeah, I was, um, and I was driving up to the podcast this morning listening to the ABC, which of course is always the place to go on days of potential bushfire. And um, I think they're revving up for what I hope is not a big storm Um up north of our state. So um, as we record this on Tuesday, we hope that uh, the cool change comes quickly for you guys. Carol, we have a jam-packed episode today. We've got a bit of housekeeping. We'll get to that in a second. But um, stay with us because we're going to be talking about the really joyful subject of ageing, which everybody's suddenly very excited about. <laughs> They're probably turning off. Miles is going to be with us and we're going to talk about rum, the joys of drinking rum. I have a, an oldie bit of goodie recipe. You have watched the Gilded Age series too. Can't wait to hear about I'm, that. I'm, I'm, de- I'm into it. I haven't finished it yet. And Corrie, that for those of you, so many people have asked me for Lou's salad recipe. That was, um, I mean, it was. It sounded like a great recipe, but it wasn't properly demonstrated onto the show notes. And you will rectify that. I will rectify that. Yes. I had it. I had it written in my iPhone, and I have to transfer that. So. Um, the wonderful Jordan, who's producing us for a couple of weeks, can pop it on the show notes. So sorry to everybody. And also I have an apology, Caro. Uh, in last week's program, I referred to Tyler in her beautiful Grammy outfit. I said the South American singer. Of course, I meant to say South African. So thanks to the millennial person who pointed that out. Um, and we've got a little bit of correspondence here. But before we do, can I just remind everybody that Caro and I are having our 300th birthday party at Bell's Hotel on Thursday the 29th of February. Tickets are still for sale. Not many, but there's a few there. We would love, love, love to see our potties there. It's always a lot of fun. We've got a bit of a football theme this year, Caro, with the wonderful Brad Scott, coach of Essendon coming in. You'll probably grill him. I'll just kind of fangirl him. And um, Anna from the Op Shop's joining us and a few of the other gang. Miles will be there, of course. So looking forward to that and hoping that everybody joins in. Now, what do we have in our mailbag? Well, Jackie Croyle wanted to thank you for your recommendation of jo- the Joanna Lumley Maestro podcast, Joanna and the Maestro. She's a huge Puccini fan, so she loved Puccini Unbound, which was the first one that she listened to. She, um, she's now hooked. She loves our podcast. So thank you, Jackie. Thank you to Alison Cameron and Alison Crabb, who both said it was lovely to have us back and love listening to us. Great. That's lovely to hear. So, Carol, And a bit of feedback from um, a family member of mine, daughter Rose. Can we get the new segment right? Did you see that? That, exactly. That's you saw, grammatically correct. You have seen something this week. And when we get to it, I will say, Corrie, did you see that? That's right. Know this. 
Because this not, means I must have it in my hand and show you. And I won't ask what caught your eye. <laughs> You'll still be calling it what caught my eye. We will get the hang Over of our you. new segment. So, Caro, uh, I, you and I were having a chat the other day when we were walking about uh, a couple of different things, which actually ended up being a tale of two Mitchells. We talked about the fact that Harold Mitchell, the longtime media buyer, one, one of at one point, one of Australia's, I would say, top five most powerful people in the Australian media, with many people not knowing who he was, had a very big agency and massive influence with all the media proprietors in the 1980s, 90s and 2000s, and he died uh, last week. So you and I were reflecting upon that. And also we talked about Neil Mitchell's farewell. Neil Mitchell, of course, left 3RW at the end of last year, but he had his formal farewell with all of his buddies. We did note there weren't a lot of women that we could see in the crowd. Well, it was surprising because, I mean, Neil gave you, well, not your first job, but your first, he, he introduced you into the sports department of The Age when he was sports editor. I think it was about 1981. And he, there'd never been a woman covering footy full time in any Melbourne newspaper or, in, in fact, any Australian newspaper. And, you know, often people say to me that I was the first and I say, no, I wasn't. Corrie was the first a year before me. It's always very nice of you that you do that. It Thank is. You. And it was very nice of you to suggest to the Herald Sports Editor that he, he put me into the sports department, even though I, I didn't know I wanted to do it at the time, but apparently you did. But anyway, so you wouldn't say Neil is not, you know, someone who hasn't given women a go. And and um, I, I don't know. I, I sort of saw pictures. I've read reports of it from the Melbourne Town Hall. And it, we should stress it's not his farewell from the media. He claims he's been working harder than ever, just not getting up at 4am. He's just no longer a daily radio host on 3AW. But he's just joined um, Channel 7 breakfast, uh, the morning show at Channel 7. Um, he's doing, um, obviously, podcasts. He's Neil Mitchell asks why. He's doing a lot of stuff. He's breaking stories. But... It was just surprising. I mean, he's had female producers for much of his celebrated and storied radio career, Heidi Murphy being the main one. I'm sure she was there. I didn't see her at the front anyway, and I'm sure she got a mention, but I didn't read about that in all. There were mainly gags about politicians and having a crack at, she had a crack at John Prosciutto, <laughs> which I thought, I mean, fair enough, have a crack at all of them, but he basically said, you know, um, you're going to get the sack next week. Or so. He made a crack about the other, the opposition guy or the guys after his job. I can't remember what well, it, was, it was. It was a bit of a roast. It, it was, was a, a bit of a roast and I'm sure it was all terrific and fun and probably I just didn't as see Neil Sally wanted. Cap, but, but I didn't see a lot of women there. Sally Cap, I think, was probably away. Jacinta Allen, don't know if she was asked, don't know. She, she wasn't there. Albo was there um, for a and little Peter while. And Peter Dutton. Yeah. And Peter Dutton. So, you know, both sides, et cetera, et cetera, showing how, you know, the the stature which with which he was held, you know, during his full-time radio career. But it looked like a function, it looked like a Van Sank club function from Grand Final Eve in 1987. <laughs> well, I've been feeling a little bit like that. It's funny you should say that. But reflecting on our conversation the other day, which when Caro and I walk, it's a bit like this podcast. We go from this to that to this to that. And... Um, and I was reflecting on it as I, I, when I left you and I was going home and I thought, I think what this says to me is that, um, and, and then particularly with the Joe Biden, so the Joe Biden issue has been um, quite interesting. Joe Biden um, has been exonerated in uh, a report. I'll talk about that in a bit more detail. But um, 
But the special counsel um, had came out with a particularly damning comment, which has really captured the um, the Washington press corps' imagination. And I dare I say, dare I say, probably Democrat headquarters as they as they march toward the twenty twenty four presidential election. Robert K. Her character, who is the special counsel, characterised in this report, characterised Mr. Biden, who is eighty one, as a well meaning elderly man with a poor memory, and added diminished faculties to advancing a in advancing age. You're not saying that about Neil Mitchell. No, I'm you? not saying that, but what it made me think about was um, our place, you and I, our place in the world right here, right now. So I don't think it's any surprise if I admit that you and I are in our early 60s. And if we look back over our working life, which started in the late 70s and early 80s, and our work lives have been dominated by men in positions of power. I don't know about you, but very few women. And you and I have worked in newspapers, we've worked in radio, uh, you work in television, I worked at the, in the, at the National Gallery in the Arts, and so few women in positions of power. And power, I mean like major um, 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 managers, CEOs, and at board level, and chairs of boards. So you and I have kind of come through a lifetime of Harold Mitchells, Neil Mitchells, Joe Bidens ruling the world, white, ageing men. And now that we are in our early 60s, these men who were 15 or 20 years older than us all those years who have held all the power, and you and I, because of the circumstances of the society in which we live, had to defer to that power, these men are ageing or indeed in Harold Mitchell's case, um, some could argue, you know, untimely death at at the age of 81. So what happens now? And those men who are alive, those white ageing men, how willing or otherwise are they to give over power? Now, Neil Mitchell, for example, has um, gave up after many years, gave up the 3RW morning job and who can blame him? Big and they, job. I think they wanted Many him years. to stay for at least one more year. That's right. We heard that. That's right. And he said, no, now's the time to go. So he called his own timing. I have friends who are judges who have had to leave at 70. And sometimes that's not always comfortable. Sometimes it's great, but it's legislation. They have to leave at 70. But Neil chose when he would leave. and um, But he's been very quick to point out to everybody he still has a lot on his plate. He's, he's, not, re- he's not retiring from... Um, being engaged in the workspace and the media space. So he's really, you know, he's, he's, he's very determined that everybody gets this message. It's not dissimilar. I'm not comparing myself to Neil Mitchell. But when I quit as the aged chief footy writer at the end of 2017, people still say to me, oh, you're, you're retired. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not. Yeah. I've, I've pulled back a bit. It's difficult. But I'm still working, you know, yeah. pretty hard. And, and I'm, I think six years later, tells the tale that I actually have kept working and I'm still doing a fair bit. And it's an old-fashioned concept of retirement, isn't it? And I, So there are a couple of things here that I pose to the younger generation. And, you know, thankfully, thankfully, things are changing. I mean, I look at my children in their 30s and I look at their senior managers, their CEOs, their boards. There are women populated throughout and there's diversity and this is fantastic. But if I talk about you and I here and now, two people who have been working for 40 years, we've been working in a world dominated by men and now the men are in their 70s and 80s and they're getting old or they're dying. So the shift of power and how easily we can do it. And when I was thinking about that, I thought, well, what's happening in the White House? How do you tell somebody like, like Joe Biden um, that it might be time to move on? How do you tap him on the shoulder? Now, um, LBJ, Lyndon Johnson, actually um, had decided not to stand at the next election but didn't tell anybody. 
and kind of graciously. I mean, I'm sure he felt he was being pushed, but and it was probably a good move on his part. But he didn't. He didn't. Um, he said he wasn't standing. So, so that allowed the Democrats to go and find um, a new, you know, new life and, and and a new candidate. What's going to happen in the White House with Joe Biden? I don't know. I mean, it's pretty damning. Well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, and he's and if he if he wins the next election, and it looks like it's a Trump Biden face-off again. So again, two men in there. Aging white men. Um, I mean, it's the world's biggest democracy, Caro. Where are all the good candidates? Anyway, if Joe wins, he'll be eighty-six when he leaves the White House. No, even well, what was the latest poll? Seventy-five percent of Democrat voters think he's too old. I mean, he holds a press conference to defend himself and hit back at the allegations. And he confuses the prime ministers or pre- <laughs> Mexico with. Uh, it's not. It's not. It doesn't all go well with. with he was, things. It was. It was so unconvincing, and he's clearly too old. Donald Trump probably should be in jail. Uh, it is. It, it. It baffles me. A, a couple of points. First of all, quite quite sincerely, Vale Harold Mitchell was always great at the other end of the phone if you needed help to explain a situation or background on not, you know, leaking big stories or anything, but always very helpful to the young journalist. We should we should explain what a media buyer does. So so it's it's like a it's like a step sideways from an advertising agency. And so what would happen was would be a client or a government or some, you know, big corporate would say, I need to get my campaign through hard, fast or, you know, sustained campaign or whatever it is. Can you help me get the best spots in papers and radio and television? So it's not such a big deal these days or it's morphed into many different things. But Harold was the man who'd do the deals. And he'd literally ring up Kerry Stokes or someone, Kerry Packer, and say, hey, I, you know, I, we need to be promoting this in prime time. An extraordinarily colourful character too around the Melbourne landscape. Yeah, married for 50 years to Beverly and then the marriage broke up, which was just, it took everybody a bit by surprise. He lost a huge amount of weight at one stage, do you remember, because yep. he was so overweight and, and critically ill. Um, that was remarkable how he turned that around. And um, I was on a board with him once, the AFL Publications Board, I think from memory there was one other woman and it could have been Jill Lindsay, but I just remember he had no time whatsoever for, for younger women's views on that board. It was a joke, me being there. Oh, really? It was a joke. Oh, okay. Ross Oakley was on it. It was a, it was a really good it – was, it was to do with all of the publications that the AFL produced. So a pretty big suite of product in those days, printed product. And I was the editor of the Footy Record and a couple of other of their magazines, so that was my reason for being there. But how Harold Harold wasn't interested in that. Well, that's interesting. He was always very good at explaining the landscapes of certain issues to me, which I always appreciated, particularly when I started writing more about footy and sport in the media. The other point is um, having often, as you said, being the only woman in the situation. I've stressed it less at the ABC, which is the one place I've worked where there've been a lot of women producers and hosts, much more from you know twenty years ago till now. But one thing I've noticed is that now that it's changing, I think the women who've been there forever and are like me, <laughs> and have only been used to dealing with men, it's quite interesting dealing with women. Because the AFL now has four, or over the, I think there are four, there may be only three women presidents at the moment, I can't remember, but there have been four, there have been three. Um, we have a woman CEO at North Melbourne in Jen Watt. 
um, the age when um, Gay Alcorn, it's funny, Gay Alcorn, I think, was the first woman editor of the age in, it, in its history. And, I, you know, I always had a good relationship with Gay. We worked together many years ago at the Sunday Age. I don't think I had one conversation with her when she was editor of the age, maybe right at the end when I saw <clears throat> saw her one day at the grand final. And I don't know why, but it wasn't something that she felt she needed to do. Absolutely fine. I just go about my business. Um, dealing with women at the AFL now, because the women there are a lot of women in positions of power or more than there used to be at the AFL. It's So it's, do you find do you find you and and I know it's not a power thing, a power issue for you because you don't work at the AFL, so these women aren't your boss. But do you find that, if I say managing up to women, is different to managing up to men? I think it's 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 different talking to women in positions of power in footy to get stories out of them because this sounds really stupid. And and I've trust me, I've found a way around it, but. At times it's difficult because I'm just always used to dealing with men. And normally when I deal with women, it's with my friends or with members of my family. And sometimes I find it even a bit, um, I don't know, I, I feel not embarrassed, but it's just, it's a different shtick. Also, you're to, tuned to be dealing with men. For stories, because that's all I've ever done. You see, I, you see this, and, and so this is so interesting. Because I guess this is my point. The odd, the odd wife yeah. of someone, but you never and I, before. you and I are tuned to deal with blokes, white blokes in power, and if we come across anybody who's different to that, it's um, it's it's interesting. It's well, it's so refreshing. Can I say? Well, it's it's, so it's refreshing. refreshing, but I feel like I should be, you know. I need to cut to the chase because it is often. Look, there are a lot of men I have great relationships with, and we talk about other stuff apart from you know, the conversation around football and you know trying to work out what's going on in a situation, which is what I'm mainly doing. But it's just different. Yeah, I understand that. So the first time I've really um, been in this position with women, I mean, I suppose Jill Baker as deputy editor of the Age when I was there. You know, maybe that was my first connection with a woman in a position of authority. But certainly while I was at the Wheeler Centre, I had three women chairs in a row. And it's it, it was it was just so, um, what can I say? Um, it was such a relief. Was it? Okay. You don't, you, well, you just don't, it just, you don't have to. Maybe that's an age thing too. It could be age and confidence. You know, comparing your forty-year-old self to your sixty-year-old self, possibly that has something to do with it, and you come more comfortable in your own skin, and you're more, more assured of your experiences, I guess. But it was just a relief to be able to have an honest convo with uh, with a person who I think had great empathy. Which women—I mean, it's not to say that men don't. This, these are massive generalisations, but I just found that if there was an empathetic um, ear in the room. And I have met women who don't have that empathy, I have to say. I've had a couple of terrifying women in my life in positions of power. But um, it's interesting It's interesting to think about this, isn't it? Yeah, and, I know, and, but it's funny. And you can't help but, um, mental, you know, somewhere it's subliminal, I guess. But when you're with that sort of woman who is difficult to deal with and has no warmth and, you know, has a bit of the killer instinct... You, you deal with them in a different way than you would with so many of the men that have been so similar as well. I think it's more intimidating when it's coming from a woman for me. Mm, well, I do know. I, I have heard that somebody said that about Julia Gillard 
fabulous deputy prime minister, but when she was prime minister, she was quite ruthless, um, you know, with, with women. She was quite tough with women, which is interesting. Caro, the other thing too about this, just before we move on, is relevance deprivation. And you and I have talked about this, joked about it, all sorts of things over since you've left the age, although you haven't because you're still writing a column. But we've talked about relevance deprivation. And I guess, again, because I'm ageing, we're ageing, we're noticing that um, there are people, our cohort are leaving work, they're retiring. Yep. Um, how are they filling their time? What are they What are they? How do you, do you think people are adjusting easier than they used to? Because in the old days, it was traditional male and female roles. Do you think it's a bit easier for people to slide into a kind of retirement situation? Well, it's funny. Most of, I'm, I'm noticing with men, that it div- it's divided in half. Some just absolutely love it and others just feel they have no role anymore and are really struggling. With women, I mean, most of my close women friends either haven't retired you know, like you have started a different career, you know, a, you know, late in life and are going all guns blazing. And many others have started back into the workforce because, you know, they no longer have, you know, children to worry about and they didn't work because they were bringing up kids and they chose not to work, whatever, or they didn't want to or whatever, and have gone back to work. And I, I know very few women have actually in the last five years just actually retired but those who have, and I can just think of one, absolutely loves Love it, it. <laughs> but, but still gets called back to do jobs because she's got so good at what she does. So mm. I don't really know many. It's more men that I'm noticing. Mm. I, do, I notice a bit of a relevance deprivation thing, but that's interesting. And maybe all of that changes with generations as well. Anyway, we'll be watching that space with uh, with what's happening with um, Joe Biden's campaign for sure. It's a disaster and, waiting to happen. Oh, disaster waiting to happen. More on that as the weeks unfold. One, one, and, more, one more quick point. Sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Was is just that if they had an election tomorrow, you know, everyone says that Trump would romp it in. And that's sort of terrifying as well. Well, it's terrifying. And, you know, as we know, Donald Trump makes gaffes all the time. His memory is hopeless as well. But what what is interesting about the coverage of Trump is that um, there are so many other um, little, um, you know, bombs that he drops in his delivery um, you know, I'm going to be a dictator for a day. Uh, you know, we're going to take out all of our, our political enemies. You know, the, the, everything else is worth the coverage. The fact that he forgets the, the name of the Hungarian president or prime minister is, when he's standing right beside him, is almost irrelevant because it's all of this other stuff that the news call kind of focus on. So it is interesting. Anyway, battle of the 80-year-olds, it looks like. Uh, <laughs> let's um, get Miles in now. Let's have a little rumble with some rum. Search princewinestore.com.au, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. Our cocktail cabinet is here, Caro, and of course brought to us each week by Prince Wine Store. And Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store, as usual, is here with us, and we're talking rum this week. Rumba! Yeah, Hello, I love Miles. I love rum. Hello. Hello. I, I didn't. I never used to be into to rum so much, and then a guy I worked with, Roscoe, who's a very good friend of mine as well. He uh, sort of turned me onto the rum, and I became a bit obsessed. Well, it's good stuff. When we were <laughs> young, we were very much into daiquiris. Oh yeah, I discovered daiquiris when. Who no, were you? All you? Well, you remember when? Oh, I They're remember, pretty easy to do. Well, I was into rum and coke. Early twenties, 
Well, if you had white rum and you had some form of fruit, you had a daiquiri. Oh, that's exactly. true. And the, put, the parents were into daiquiris too, weren't they? You just put watermelon in a vitamizer and, and add it. a bit of rum and Bob's your uncle. That's what's great about it. And that's what's good with rum, like yep. that particularly white rums. They just And even the golden kind of rums, they, they just disappear into drinks. So Captain Morgan's, I remember, was a favourite in the spice rum. So you're yeah. going to tell us about white, dark, what sort yeah, of rum? Yeah, I've got, I've got two, two rums. I've got the husk. Agricole. So agricole rums are rums that are made from the sugarcane juice rather than normally it's made from like the molasses. Normally it's like byproduct, but this is made from the sugarcane juice, which means it's got a really lovely kind of grassy kind of floral thing going on. Really beautiful. These rum agricole. So traditional in the sort of French marks, you know, French kind of Caribbean. That's where you sort of see them. Um, so a little a little different to the more plain sort of white rums, but really delicious. And of course, husk is husk is actually an Australian rum, so which is really cool. Um, and from they make Queensland. From, uh, I don't know if they're based in Queensland, but they certainly, obviously, use you know. Are you sugar, using that sugar cane sugar connection cane there, juice. Caro? Yeah. <laughs> my, You're my, such an expert, aren't you? My grandfather was a um, he was a chemist for a, for a sugar cane for a processing facility up in really? uh, yeah up in Serena. Thought you were going to say it was a cane cutter, like no. summer of the seventeenth doll. But that's that's Hauled interesting. Off during the world war to help the really the war movement with. Oh, uh, we could talk for hours. We chemist. could go off yeah, piece for hours here. Oh, everyone has such interesting families, right? Well, Australia <laughs> sort of has a bit of a black history with rum too, doesn't it? Really, when you go right yes. back, rum but, rebellions and oh, all yeah, of that's that. Right. But, Absolutely, and, and and the dreadful things that you know did to the first yep. Australians. However, we're enjoying rum today, and you're yeah, going to tell us what we're going to do with husk. Well. For me, and I've always loved this drink, Caparina, which is basically just sugar, uh, muddled limes, and, and I'm sorry, rum. I'm sorry, what? A Caparina. What? No, what's a muddled lime? Oh, oh so just like you have a muddled limes. So much fun. So you can get, you can buy muddlers, fancy muddlers, but you could literally just get like a, a one of those rolling pins that don't have the oh, handles squeeze, on it. Oh, squeeze it. Yeah. just crush it. Oh, no, but, but you don't, you, you, you bash don't it. crush it, bash yeah, you it. You don't want the, Correct. you keep the skins and everything. Yeah. If you, really important. If one of your children's having a party, as happened, I remember I just had a huge bucket and a big sort of pusher, basher thing. Yeah. And I just muddled just and muddled and muddled. Up. And that's the basis of the cocktail. Yeah. And you can do it with Is norm- it the basis of the word muddled? I wonder no. if it comes from some ye olde English muddled. way of I have crushing maybe it's fruit. The, maybe it's the name of the of the And then we all became muddled. Equipment, the muddler. Yeah. Maybe. It, look, it actually looks like a Bobby's kind of What is the stick. origin of the we'll word muddler that. or muddled? That's what we need to know. Um, so we've got sugar like a syrup? So, no, you just it, they, use use like the sugar granular sugar because yeah. it acts kind of like, like, you know, like sand or salt or something like salt would if, you, if you've got a mortar and pestle, right? It's going to kind of yep. help grind up everything up. Yep. And yeah, caparina and just, you know, I you can do it with pieces of lime, but I like to cube my lime. So I'll cut my lime up and I'll sort of cube it. So you got little squares with all the juice, and it just you get heaps more juice, and you got to get a lot of lime juice. That's that's I think the secret. Yeah, really juicy limes, and try to get as much juice. Lime out. fresh, fresh Absolutely. lime. You're, you're too young to remember that. And lots I don't know for that. the very first time. <laughs> okay, so with okay. streaks of lime. Don't you remember we all raced out and oh. said to our mothers, "You've got to buy this new soap. It has lime in it." Oh, so <laughs> I thought it was going to be a, a, a no, ice cream dessert. No, it was a very funny ad though. <laughs> Um, so anyway, you've, so got, muddled, muddled you've got the muddled lines. So funny, Harris hysterical. Yeah, go on. I'm just concerned. You're <laughs> just gonna, trying to move on. Well, I sang you once can... on the podcast and never again. You're better than me, though. You can actually carry it off. Um, yeah, so muddled, muddled lime, 
you know, sh- you know, shot and a half, shot, whatever you want to put in. And lots of ice, I guess. Lots of ice. I like, I, re- I reckon your best bet is to buy like an old or, or what those old school kind of ice crushers, which you can still buy today, the ones with the handles and you twist them around. Yep. And I, I love it with crushed ice. And then you just kind of, once you've got it all muddled, put your ice in there, pour your um, rum on top and just get a spoon and just kind of spoon it through. So it kind of melts a little bit as well. So you get a little bit more. It's yep. a very strong cocktail, but it is mm. fantastic, particularly when it's hot. How would you describe Yum. the taste of rum? Uh, Hot? Well, well, it's pretty like... Burny? The, the white rums are pretty... Oh, no, they can be pretty smooth. The white rums are, are kind of like vodka. They're, they're somewhat sort of flavourless. So these rums and things like cachaça rum, just like the Brazilian rum, and these agricole rums, they have a bit more of a like floral sort of grassy note to them, which is really lovely. So I think that's kind of perfect for that. And then, of course, you've got like gold rums and dark rums, which are aged in barrels. So they're looking more like whiskies or cognacs because mm. they, they have barrel-aged characteristics. And then, of course, there's things like spiced rums. So they're actually infused with spices. So there's a whole – that's the thing with rum. It's not just I went to someone's house a thing. couple of years ago and they did a banana and rum recipe. So they oh, basically – Yeah, banana basically and rum. Anything tropical. so easy. I wish I'd got it, Carol. Yeah. Um, it was like a dessert, like yeah, a pudding. Yeah, you just, but just baked bananas mm. with kind of rum poured over it. It was delicious. Yeah, you could delicious. just do like rum butter mm. in a pan, bake some – cooks, you know, fry up some – Banana rum, pieces, rum. that would be beautiful. So we're going to make Caprianas. What Capri- else are we? Caparina. Caparinas. Caparina. Caparinas. Sorry about that. Yum. So good. What else are we going to have? So the other one, and this is so this rum, it's Rum Diaries, which is um, uh, ex, ex kind of Melbourne hospo peeps. And there was, they had a, they had a bar. Ex Melbourne hospo peeps. peeps. Oh, they boy. had a, um, they had a bar called the Rum Diaries. I don't think it's still around. I'm just shaking my head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they sort of, you know, were a bit disheartened with the sort of spiced rum in particular that they were seeing some of the bigger brands that were a bit not so great. So they wanted to sort of do their own thing. So they sort of started off with a rum diary spiced rum. And then they have what they call their experimental kitchen range, I think it is. And this is, uh, I think the first one was a, ra- no, cherry rum. And then the second one is a coconut rum and it's called, uh, co- uh, what's it called? Co- Cocos nucifera, which I think is the the... The uh, scientific Latin word for coconut tree. Wow! And it is a coconut infused rum. Oh, yum! And they infuse it also with a bit of wattle seed and cocoa nib as well. So it's got this little, likely sort of spice sort of thing. That might be nice on your bananas. Oh, it's it is so so good. Can you buy it at Prince Wine Store? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a bunch. I've got a bunch coming in. So the first one is, uh, I think, eighty two. The husk, and, yeah, yeah, the husk, and then the the rum diaries coconut rum is ninety five. It's a little more expensive. It's so good though. So four four way infused coconut. I was trying to find out the four ways they infuse the coconut, but I couldn't. But it is very coconutty. It is fan- uh, if you love coconut, it's fantastic. And of course, you know any sort of those like tiki tiki sort of cocktail recipes. It's going to. Oh, work. I'm so I'm so you, tiki <laughs> village. I'm suddenly in service yeah, paradise in 1972. <laughs> so good. I went to a tiki bar in New York that was phenomenal. It had like sand on the on like, all out the back. It was. It was mai tais have rum rum bases yeah, yeah. and chichis. I think do yeah. too. Chichis so remind me of Hawaii. Anyway, they so, sound fabulous. So yeah. that's the husk and the rum diaries, coconut rum. And the rum diaries, how do we describe them again? Hospo. So ex hospo peeps. Ex hospo peeps. <laughs> oh, sorry, Groover. Maybe they had issues with Cosy Lives, so they <laughs> went into the retail and out of the hospo. And I'll put up the, 
that so I think yeah, any tiki recipe, but I was going to say that the one that they've got on their website, and I, and I'll put up a link or put up the recipe for for all the potties, is a is a coconut rum martini espresso. Oh. And they use the coconut rum. They use Mr. Black's coffee liqueur, which is fantastic, and we always have in the store because we love it. And it's just kind of made like a normal sort of with uh, normal sort of espresso martini, but with the coconut rum and a bit of sugar. It's I haven't had it, but I read the recipe and I was like, so Jordan, have Jordan our new producer friend, is just in shock that we can just talk serious alcohol at this time of the day. Hey, Jordan, just to- <laughs> join in. You know, I'm about to go back and taste about eighty wines. So. I'm, oh, I'm used to it. <laughs> Miles, that is absolutely brilliant. Sounds great. Yum. And and so for, so for all of those rum recipes and also the Rum Diaries Coconut Rum and the Husk, of course, which is part of the Caparina. Ca- Caparina. God, we're having trouble with that word. As opposed to the Capriosca. <laughs> yeah, very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a pizza. <laughs> Well, it's also it's also a drink. Um, go to princewinestore.com.au and, of course, we will have this up on the show notes at some stage in the next couple of days after we've recorded this. So, um, Miles, thank you again yeah. for joining us for um, the Cocktail Cabinet brought to us each week by Prince Winestore. And we'll see you next week. You will. Move with Red Energy and they'll cover your standard connection fees. Eligibility criteria and conditions apply. BSF. Books, green food. BSF Caro. Books, green food. Brought to us by Red Energy each week. Um, we love Red Energy and we send our regards to everybody there, the great energy company here, based here in Melbourne. Now, Caro, you kick us off with a book. Well, I've just finished an absolute it's a great book. It's very big. It's very long. And it's called Wellness by Nathan Hill. I mentioned it as part of that book club present my younger two children gave me for Christmas where I'm getting a book every a month for every six months. And also called the Literati. Literati yeah. Book Club. Book Club. That's right. The fir- and I don't know what I'm going to get next. So I'm waiting with bated breath to what February will offer. But I finished Wellness. Um, I, I suppose I want to compare it. It's a story of a marriage. And it goes backwards and forwards in time over two decades to when the couple met and fell in love, which was basically in a really beaten up area of Chicago. Both Nathan Hill's books, he's a former journo, both of his books, his first one was a smash hit that took the world by storm or took America by storm called The Nicks. This one is called Wellness. It's a story of a marriage through the sphere of, and when I say through mental health, physical health and other health, that sounds really boring. It's just that it, it's the way we look after ourselves, the way we look after each other, the way we look towards our health um, and how that has become an obsession in the modern age. But these two people, basically, um, she is she's sort of a scientist and in a way it's like an experiment. The whole story is an experiment of love. I want to compare it to... if Where's I had, it? Where's it what, what time is it set? Starts in 80s Chicago and then moves forward. So um, they're both living down and out, struggling young students, artists, with both with really interesting backstories that you more and more unfold during this, the book. He sees her through his very seedy apartment window. He's living in this virtual tenement, which has just been done up by a bit of a local entrepreneur, struggling young artist. And he's living, you know, in squalor, really. And she is too. But he looks at her and watches her over a month or or two months through a Chicago winter and becomes obsessed by her. 
he doesn't know that she's doing the same thing. She's looking at him. They finally meet at um, a music venue because he's a photographer and he's taking photographs of all the cool local bands. They finally meet at a music venue and they fall in love. So that it's it's it's, it's a beautiful love story. Twenty years later, things have sort of unravelled a lot, and they're both looking for different things. And it's a story of a marriage. She works for, um, she gets a job with a local professor um, and the company she now works for is called Wellness. And that's the name of the book. And it basically tests placebo to see whether people, if they're taking a certain pill, that they, they're getting better even though they're taking absolutely nothing. It, it's all about all these human experiments they do. It's about what happens when they have a child, what happens when they become upwardly mobile when she comes into a bit of money through a really interesting means. Her backstory is fascinating, going right back to 1800s US. His backstory, he comes from um, the prairie country and a very, very different background. Um, I want to compare it to Jonathan Franzen, one of his books, or um, one of the... um, What's another, that wonderful book, The Art of Fielding, which was another one of my favourite American novels. It is the story of a marriage. It is forward, it's back. You cannot put it down. At the beginning you think, oh, is this a bit depressing? But no, it is fascinating. It's a modern take. It's cynical, it's funny, and it's just heartbreaking. And the author? Nathan Hill. Nathan Hill, I imagine, is American. He's American. He's a he's it, it's a love affair to Chicago as well. This right. book, but he but he's a former journo, and his first book, The Knicks, was a big hit, and this one has been very very well reviewed. Well, I, I tell you what, it's taken off in the UK and the US. All the bookshop uh, Instagram accounts that I follow over there, this thing has been pumping. You're the first person I think I've seen with a copy of it in Australia. I'm sure it's in bookshops, but I just haven't sort of. No, I it. haven't seen it anywhere either. Look, it's long. His first book, The Knicks, was over seven hundred pages. I was sort of really, I, I, I was reading it on the plane last week and I was going, um, oh I've only read 250 pages and I'm not even halfway through. It's like, like, it's me a, with, like me with Babs. <laughs> Am I only up to the Prince of Tides? It took me, yeah, it, it took me a long time. But when you start to learn out about, learn about their background, this, it, it is just, it's a beautiful story. Elizabeth, the woman in particular, is just a, a, one, a great character. It so sounds I like really... a great book club book if people had time. That's the trouble with book club books when you choose them. You've got to be very careful about how big the book is. Well, remember when John Irving's books just got longer and longer and longer? I mean, he started this genre really, but I think Jonathan Franzen really picked it up and went on with it. And now Nathan Hill is, yeah, he's rocketing. So anyway, great. I would really recommend it. That's Wellness by Nathan Hill. So tell us about the Gilded Age series too. Oh, look, you know, Julian Fellows. What a star he is. He basically thought, you know, um, Downton Abbey was a smash hit. Let, and someone obviously had the bright idea, well, let's go and cover the Gilded Age of New York, sort of turn of the century. We move again between Manhattan and Newport, Rhode Island. Class warfare. Class warfare, racial warfare, um, upstairs, downstairs. It is just a wonderful, wonderful series. The two um, linchpins of the show are, again, Christine Baranski and Cynthia Nixon, the two sisters and their niece who live in that beautiful house in Manhattan. Um, The nouveau sort of couple over the um, road who are trying to make it in Manhattan, um, particularly Carrie Coon, 
who plays um or oh, she's absolutely... oh the, the, that's the wife yeah she's the she's... ambitious the socially ambitious wife. oh my she is just brilliant oh I just how many times in that first series did I squirm with her clunking her way through New York society <laughs> well she's taken on the opera now so there everybody you know she can't get a box at the opera that's one of the strands of the story as the second series starts. Because it's just too hard. So she enlists the help of her friend, Mrs. Astor, as she always does. But then the Metropolitan is starting its own rival oh. opera. And who would ever go to the Metropolitan? And um, anyway, of course, well, guess what? she makes that her cause celebra. And it is just – and there's an, a, new, a couple of new characters that have come into the show, relatives, and there's, you know – Oh, there's new love interests. The story of the black family, who of course come into it early on because um, the two young women meet on the train on their mm. way to Manhattan back in the start of the first series. Oh, Corrie, this is a great show. I cannot. It is good. I, I, I have to go back and revisit it. I'm two it. episodes in and I just cannot stop. Oh, that's good. The Gilded that Age. Good. And we need to watch. But it, it's Paramount Plus, but you get it through Prime Video. So oh, well, that you, You've is, done your research. I have, See, we, we often know where something comes from, now, where we've seen it. Corrie, and by the way, there's another great series to started there too with um, Nicole Kidman, who is a very good actor, Corrie. Expats. Expats, set in Hong Kong. And, and who's, who would have thought I'd say that about a Nicole Kidman? She got into trouble because she filmed there during COVID, yeah. but it's it's very, very good. Now, you have, you've gone back to the Donna Hay, the Well of Donna. I have. I have our, gone back to the Well of Donna. For our food. And we should yeah. thank Cobram Estate, which is Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested, and first cold-pressed in Northern Victoria. Hello, Mr. Cobram. Um, Caro, there was a little bit of olive oil used in this, I'm happy to say. This is from, remember when Donna Hay, before Donna Hay was Donna Hay, she was the food editor for Marie Claire. And Marie Claire in the 90s and early 2000s used to, used to bring out these, um, I think, annual cookbooks. So this one, oh, my God, I don't, didn't, look at this, look at the stains on it. It go, what, where was this That's one? That's a sign oh, of a good cookbook. First published by Murdoch Books in 2000. There you go. So this is 24 years old. Uh, this recipe used to be on repeat, but um, was went missing for a little while out of my repertoire. But a couple of weeks ago, I was in a most excellent butcher and there were veal chops, as I call them, or veal cutlets. I love a veal cutlet. Me too. They're one of my favourite things. If they've got them at the butcher, I buy them. But they well, don't always have them. Not always. And there they were. So I dug out this recipe and we barbecued our veal, but you can put it in the oven. But the but the brilliant part of this, and I, and I made this up because I do live with a pea fanatic. If Peter could have peas every night... Um, he would. So I'm not such a big pea person, but um, anyway, I made this because this is the recipe, veal cutlets with minted pea puree by Donna Hay. Cutlets, um, sprinkle um, cracked pepper over the top of them and a bit of olive oil and so on. Let's start with the minted puree, minted pea puree. Potatoes, so three potatoes, or it depends on how many people you've got, but three potatoes in this recipe. Presuming this is a rep one for four. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, so it they... says serves four at the bottom. Um, three waxy potatoes, 60 grams of butter, three quarters of a cup of cream, sea salt, two cups of fresh peas, and two tablespoons of chopped fresh mint. 
I didn't have the fresh peas. I just used frozen ones and that is absolutely fine. So you just um, heat, up the, heat, up, heat up your saucepan boiled water, do the peas, drain them and put the peas, the mint and a few spoonfuls of mash, which you've already made, um, in a whizzer, in a food processor and process until smooth. And um, and then just you just sort of st- keep stirring. It's absolutely delicious. And to cook the veal, all you do is, as I said, a um, bit of pepper on it, heat the oil in the fry pan over a medium-high heat or, as we did on the barbecue, add veal and mint, so about three or four tablespoons of fresh mint leaves, and you cook the veal cutlet four to five minutes on each side um, or to, to whatever your liking is. You don't want veal too rare, Caro. No. I love it's not a, like lamb, is it? Yeah, I love a blue eye fillet. Mm. Um, I'm very much a rare person with meat, but just cutlets, veal's a little bit different. I fill it red, lamb pink, veal, yeah, just, not too just, pink. Yeah, that's right. And then to serve, of course, you just put the delicious chop on top of the pea puree, sprinkle a bit of um, mint on the top, and it is a delicious meal. Now, there's the pretty picture, so you can all have a look. Um, and that will be on our show notes, along with be. Lou's salad from last I week. I promise I will send Lou's salad. I'm sorry, everybody. But I have had a couple of people say that they've made it. I had someone text me just wanting some, um, a friend of mine, wanting some, I couldn't actually tell her any quantities because we kind of did it on the run, but um, I'll make sure I do some sort of grown-up recipe there. So that is from Marie Claire, as I said, her flavours. Uh, Marie Claire, uh, sorry, Donna Hayes recipe, and um, it's veal cutlets with minted pea mash and thank you, Cobram Estate, for supporting that segment. And that was BSF for Red Energy. Corrie, did you see that? I did see that, Caro. I was watching the Super Bowl and I you saw... And billions of others around the world. And I saw Usher. Um, yep, big deal. Sorry, no, I'm just not a fan. Like I, I, That era of music just kind of passed me by, so... I'm sure it was great. Uh, certainly the dancing girls and boys were amazing and, as usual, the set design was incredible. Oh, what about Alicia Keys on the keyboard? Oh, yes, yeah, she was pretty good and great. We loved she the red dress. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. Loved the red dress. But uh, what caught my eye was – that's not the name of the segment. <laughs> Did you see that? What I saw was Taylor Swift, of course, like everybody else, and her private jet touched down in the US from her tour in Japan. She's interrupted her Asian Pacific tour. Of course, she's due in Aussie any second as we speak, but flew back home to see her boyfriend. Um, Taylor Kelsey. Taylor Kelsey. I've got Travis here. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Travis Kelsey. Taylor Swift to see they've become, they've become one person. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> sorry, Travis. <laughs> Um, yeah, and thank good you. Day. You, you just interrupted my flow there because I thought, God, maybe I've got the name I'm wrong. That so would not sorry. be unusual. I'm so anyway, sorry. he, of course, uh, was with the winning side, um, Kansas City Chiefs. So they won their second straight Super Bowl with an amazing, amazingly close game. Even I was impacted by the excitement of this 25-22 over the 49ers from San Fran. But um, Taylor Swift was there, lots of cutaway shots to her with her friends up, up in the um, um, Ice Girl, the rapper, and Blake Lively, the um, actress. Up in the, I don't know, special box, champagne bar, I don't know, but at one stage she downed a glass of wine and I thought, mm, Taylor, I don't want to be a prude here at all. Like, have a great time. <laughs> but many of your 
constituents, many of your great fans, are under the age of 15. It looked like, looked like she was doing shots every time tra- Travis. There was a lot of alcohol. So I don't want to sound like a prude at all. I really am not a prude. But I just thought that's a kind of an unfortunate look. You're flying in. Okay, maybe you're a little jet lagged. Maybe you need to pick me up or pick me down. I don't know what. Oh, Corrie, but... they were partying. Come on. Really? Mm, okay. I mean, the whole taste whistle sort of phenomena has... I've, I've seen her in movies when she was a young What do you actor. call it? Tay Whizzle. Taste Whizzle. Taste Whizzle. Okay. <laughs> Tay Tay, whatever you want to call it. But it, we don't get the phenomenon. We don't really understand that she is going to influence the American election. We don't understand that it's all... So can you tell me about that, Carol? She was also booed at one point. What's the background of oh, that? Oh, there's some sort of suggestion that the, it, it's all a massive conspiracy. The conspiracy theorists seem to think it's linked to a sort of Democrat plot um, that she's sort of an, an, an operative for, you know, something like the CIA. Look, it's just so oh, the way, that we're heading toward the 2024 presidential election and Taylor Swift's going to determine who wins. Well, is that it? The, the way things are in that country right now. <laughs> Nothing would surprise. What More interestingly, I'm wondering if, well, I'm sure he will touch down in Sydney or Melbourne when she's, or, I mean, I, I bet you he goes Kelsey. to Sydney. Yeah, I, I think he, he seems like a nice bloke. I mean, he's a pretty friendly guy. Um I think he'll come here. I think he'll get. I, th- I think he'll be on the party circuit for the next few days. I tell you what, if I, if that... I was um, if I was Fred Oldfield at the MCC, I would be getting him there with a big photograph of him on the surface of the MCC, of the MCG. Sorry, I reckon he's. he's I think he's more of a Sydney kind of vibe. That, that, that's my. That's my sort of pick. Anyway, look, we're a bit too quiet down here for him. He, oh, I don't know. Look, the, mo- the most interesting thing was seeing it go into extra time, which it hardly ever does. And not a lot happened in extra time. I found the commentary really, the commentary sort of strange. I mean, you know, this suggestion that they mightn't have realised there was such a short time to go when finally there was a touchdown. Anyway. Tell it, me about Nick Revolt being there as a commentator. Well, he's living over in the US at the moment and has been for more than a year now. He's come back a couple of times, but he's pretty much living over in the US um, with his partner, who's American. And I, yeah, I guess he just man got a on, job man on the a, spot. Yeah, got a job as a commentator. Mm, there you go. I mean, he's a pretty good commentator. Good luck. Anyway, to him. that was my. Uh, did you see that? I did see that. Caro, let's move on to six quick questions brought to us each week by Red Energy. My question to you, what's the latest Qantas atrocity in your mind, can I say? Well, in they your did. mind? Oh, they have I've been just bo- I've just booked a little local flight with Qantas, so I've got nothing but nice things to say. Well, I, I just flew recently with Virgin and I've got nothing but nice things to say. But I will say that having promised that price gouging was going to be, was going to end or at least cur- curtailed, don't bother trying to book a flight to Adelaide for Gather Round, which happens shortly after Easter, early April. Oh, don't tell me Qantas have put the oh. prices up. It's basically a thousand dollars return. Really? Conservatively. I just booked yep. a flight to Adelaide for the Adelaide Writers Week. It was. No. It wasn't a thousand dollars. I'm very what fortunate. What does that say about the Australian zeitgeist? My my newspaper's flying me over to be at Gather Round because it, there's just you've just got to be there if you cover footy. There is just it's one of the great football experiences now. It's only been going for one year, but it's brilliant. And Adelaide's the perfect town to have it. But um, close friend of mine 
who probably was advised to book a little bit earlier than they did, but didn't. Anyway, I think it's disgusting. Corrie, what good news came out of Canberra last week? Oh, the passing of this legislation, the right to disconnect. Carol, I think it's such a great idea after lockdown, of course, or during lockdown, when uh, working and home life hours were all kind of blended into one. Um, the country managed to stay afloat by people working late into the night, but also being able to homeschool their children during the day. And everybody was flexible and employers were terrific, as were employees. But now it's time to kind of get back into some sort of groove and protect protect those employees whose managers um, or work colleagues might be uh, emailing them or texting them out of hours and expecting a reply immediately. Now, I am actually guilty of this, and I did say to our tiny festival team this week, look, uh, just on the, you've got the right to disconnect. Just because I sent you an email at 11 o'clock when it's occurred to me, I don't expect an answer. They were very sweet I'm surprised. Look, I'm, I'm, this is quick questions, but I'm surprised at you. I mean, we work in the media. They're, clearly, there are, there are going to be categories that do not apply. Well, that's that's world. right. And there's been a bit of drilling down over the Imagine last couple of days. What journo, does this mean? No, I, I know, I know. <laughs> but it, but it is, it is. Um, it looks like it's more specifically relating to not even just private enterprise, but, but government. Public and, service. And, and public service, yeah. And so there are a number of examples that have been used, but there was the, you know, there was the nurse who was contacted six times over the weekend when it's her time off and she's been working emergency all week. There are certain things that, so I think, it, I think it's probably employers and employees will strike a happy balance. But I am really glad that the legislation's in place. I thought it was um, a very good idea. And we're one of the leading nations in the world in this regard. Caro, what one word pops into your head when I say season 2024? Questions. It's always about the questions, isn't it? Can Brisbane finally win a flag under Chris Fagan? Will the new coaches have success? Will Damien Hardwick take Gold Coast into the finals finally? What other innovations is Andrew Dillon going to introduce as the new CEO of the AFL? Can Clayton Oliver fix himself up? And can Melbourne finally achieve some more of their potential? Will Luke Beveridge implode? And is this going to be his last season as Bulldogs like that's coach? Been, that question's been going around for a few years now. Well, he didn't. Last year wasn't great. Um, it's just it's quite sort of intriguing. All so many, so many different questions. Will the Tigers make it back into the finals under Adam Uze? Will he prove, be proven to be the right choice? I just, you know, will Alistair Clarkson continue his climb back? you know, as coach of the Kangaroos, is West Coast got any chance of improving? Just oh, can't. Look, look, look at the look on your face as you say that. How will, how will, how will round zero... we're with you. Will round zero maybe go some way, some small, small, small way to putting football in Sydney and certainly the outer ranges of Sydney on the map? Anyway, I just mm. can't wait, can't wait, bring it on. Tasmania, will that stadium, will it Will it happen? Mm, you know, Tassie, the that's launch, the big one for me this well, year. Well, mid-March, there's going to be a big launch of Tasmania. We're going oh, to, okay. We're going to learn the colours. We're going to learn the jumper. We're going to learn the name. The Devils? Probably. And it's going to be a, a multi, it's going to be, the, the launch will happen like a big simulcast. Be, Do you fly over to Tassie for that? Well, no, because it, I think it, I think I'm going to be working that day. I think there's a TV show I do on Channel Nine that is on the day of the. Oh, okay. But it's Life Cross. 
It's going to be at the MCG. It's going to be about eight different locations around Tasmania, maybe more, against the backdrop of a state election in Tasmania. So it's fascinating to me. It's going to happen. When you get the inside info on Tassie, just feel free to mention it on the podcast first because that would help our ratings. Well, I think I've just have. Yeah, but, you know, when you hear that it is the devils and they're going to be in green and white or something, let us know. I can't wait. For season 24. What one word pops into your head when I say season 2024? Gunston. <laughs> He's back. He's old. Oh, he's 32. He's a nice guy. Good he's luck 32. to him. 32. I was devastated when he left. Thankfully, only for a year off to Brizzy and came back again. Very narrow-minded of you, Corrie. No, not at all. Well, <laughs> no. It, I, well, I did have, when I first saw this question, I did have hawks in top eight, but I realised that that was four words. Um, so, yep, yeah, so that's where I'm at. Now, Caro, should Barnaby Joyce be filmed or should he be rescued? Well, he certainly looks like he needs rescuing. And no, I really hate this phenomenon of people filming, um, you know, people filming people when they're in trouble. I just think uh, it, it is quite extraordinary that you see someone who's clearly, what, what did he say? It had medication and drunk on the medication against advice fallen, hit a pot plant or something, fallen over and was ringing on the phone to his wife but calling himself the C word while he was doing it. Look, honestly and truly, the guy's got some issues and he's got some major issues. Why didn't? Why did the person filming not have the compassion to actually turn the phone off and pick him up and it, help him? It just horrifies me. I mean, you know, it, it, maybe there were double standards. Maybe Lydia Thorpe had a point. You know, the Prime Minister was scathing about her and was sort of a bit careful about Barnaby, maybe because he's got, you know, some severe mental health issues. I don't know. Or some severe, <laughs> some sort of health issues. But I, I I am pretty disgusted that people film and just walk on. And it, it's a horrible, it's a nasty sort of sign of the times, I think. Corrie, should Prince Andrew be wa- be brought back into the working royals' fold? No. Can't believe, I can't believe I'm even asking that question. Sinbin. Well, it has been suggested by some people in the UK press that um, given that the monarch, King Charles, has been diagnosed with an undisclosed type of cancer, what's with that as well? That is just so, I don't know, just why would you not say what the cancer is? Anyway, that's their privacy. That's fine. Um, but the 75-year-old uh, monarch begin has begun treatment in a London clinic and typically in in royal households, there are four councillors from the line of succession over the age of 21 who step into this role. So obviously at the moment, that's Queen Camilla, um, Prince of Wales, William, Prince Harry and Prince Andrew and Princess Beatrix are in that fold. But last year, um, the king requested to increase the number of councillors because, of course, Harry was no longer a working royal and Andrew had blotted his copybook because of the uh, he's been connected with these um, with the Jeffrey Epstein yeah friendship. with the sex scandals and Jeffrey Epstein and so on. So the two of them are no longer available. So Charles has stepped forward and said that he would like Anne, his sister, the Princess Royal, and his brother Prince Edward, Duke of Edinburgh, to stand up. So I think that's fine, Charles. You've got a good good team there. You don't need Andrew back in the fold. That's my thought about that, Caro. And um, that brings us to the end of what has been a very interesting episode. Thank you, Red Energy, for supporting our podcast. And thank you also, Prince Weinstor and, of course, Miles, for coming in and discussing all things rum. And to Cobram Olive Oil, Cobram Estate Olive Oil, the finest olive oil. Caro and I cook with it all the time. And thank you again for um, always presenting each week the food segment in our BSF. 
Caro, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. We love hearing from you, so join us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Don't Shoot Pod or email us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way is to tell a friend to listen. Your word of mouth recommendations are really appreciated. And of course, please support our partners who make the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast possible. Red Energy. Moving home? Trust Red Energy to power what matters most. Copper Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold pressed in Northern Victoria. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. PrinceWineStore.com.au